I'm thinking, I don't want to preach now. <laughs> After all that, that was all really good, wasn't it? Well, amen. Praise, praise the King. Amen. So, you know, last night I got in bed and I remembered suddenly I forgot to charge my phone. And I thought, well, I'll just wait till in the morning. You ever done that? And I woke up at 5.30 this morning. I looked at my, you know, clock, radio. It was not running. Our power was out. <laughs> yeah. Somebody had hit a tree. Uh, a power line, a tree fell on a power line up at the top of our neighborhood. You know, you don't, you never know uh, about things, do you? You never know when <clears throat> something, you know, you have these thoughts like that, and then they, they don't work out the way you think they should, and <clears throat> that's the way life kind of goes. So when you have those thoughts to do something, you might want to, might want to pay attention. You might want to charge your phone before you go to bed sometimes. And, you know, we we always, we have these little things with water and stuff just in case the power goes off, but we didn't have any water, you know. Well, that's not too bad uh, until you can't flush your commode, right? <laughs> yep. So things can get really bad real quick, right? <laughs> but uh, we got through that. Amen. Amen. So, um Anyways, praise the Lord. I'm going to read, uh, I'm going back to what I was doing before we had fun holiday times, right? And great uh, holiday messages, I felt, even though I gave them, I still thought they were really good, so I, I'm just saying, okay? But, you know, I was going through the book, of, just to reset everybody I'm, quickly, I was going through the book of Revelation, the seven churches in the book of Revelation, because I was looking for answers for the world we live in today. And I felt like the best place to find those answers, for some reason, I got this crazy notion that the, these, these churches, there's seven of them, that God somehow may have some information that would apply to us today in those seven churches. And... <clears throat> Anyways, like everything else in my life, I tend to get, I thought, well, maybe I should read chapter one of Revelation before I read the seven churches. And when I started reading that, man, it was such a beautiful thing because you realize the book really is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not about the end times like everybody makes it out to be. And it has a lot of that in there. But the truth is, it's about this person. And that's the name of the book. It's the book, it's the revelation of, of, this, of, of Christ and how he wants to reveal himself. And <clears throat> I think, you know, when we begin to see him for who he is, it helps us to see the world the way we're supposed to see the world. So, you know, uh, the, is the one church in the... You know how the Holy Spirit does? Sometimes he kind of baits you with stuff. Do y'all have that experience? He kind of, kind of gives you a little something that gets you and kind of sucks you in. Well, it was this particular church that he really spoke to me really strongly when I read it uh, over all the other ones. And it's the Church of Paragamas. Um, and I was so thinking I was going to give one message out of the book of Revelation. It was on this church because it spoke so strong to my heart. Uh, and I never really had that experience in, in, with these verses before. So I want to read it to you. Um, this is like the 
<clears throat> the third church in the, out of the seven. And it says it to the angel of the church of Paragamas in Revelation 2, verse 12. These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell and where, where Satan's throne is. So they were living in a, in a bad place. Uh, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days which Antipas was, was my faithful martyr, was killed among you where Satan dwells. So they, Satan's throne is Satan's house. Is Paragamus. Isn't that interesting? Uh, so that's a kind of a rough place. We think we live in a rough place. I don't think it's as, as bad. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans. I think if you remember, the Ephesus has said they had the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And here they have the doctrine. In other words, the teaching had become ingrained in them. It became more than the doctrine. I mean, that's a pretty, when you think about what he just said there, that's significant. It wasn't just these people were having influence. There was a literal doc, the, the doctrine of these people had infiltrated this amazing church. Uh, and he said, I hate this. That's what Jesus said, which thing I hate. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against those with the sword of my mouth. This is pretty chilling, <laughs> you know. You don't want to get in a fight with Jesus, right? That would be a bad day all the way around for everybody. I mean, he would clear, clear things out quickly. Hey, he's talking to a church here, y'all. You hear that? He's talking to a church. And he says, I'll come fight you over this. Mm. That ain't the Jesus we always think about, is it? Right? That ain't the, that's really not the Jesus we have in our minds all the time. We don't always think about the Jesus who wants to come and fight with us. We don't think about, you know, that sword coming out of his mouth or something coming after us. Well, I mean, that's, this is, it's right here in the Bible, so we have to pay attention to this. <clears throat> we don't want to be on the receiving end of that thing coming after us. Uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow, we need to hear this. Yay, Lord, give us that ear. To him who overcomes, I'll give him some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Isn't that beautiful? So there's like three things in here that really stood out to me back several months ago when I first really began to look at that. There's like three main uh, that I want to point, to point out to you. Number one is the word of God. Number two is compromise. And number three is identity. You see, all, and all three of those are, are vitally connected. The word, compromise, and identity, you, those three all work together in our lives. And <clears throat> I wanted to read my little summary that I'm going to give Tony this afternoon. Y'all give Tony Baker a big hand. I, I send him this little summary of every message, and then he somehow gets the message and puts it on the way, yeah. which is probably so aggravating to do. I can imagine it's beyond measure aggravating. Every message I think I've ever preached, Tony has somehow did this. You've been doing it forever, Tony. Thank you. He really has. I mean, you know, not anybody wants to go back and listen to him. I've listened to some of them like, ah, cringe. You know, he was doing it back in the cassette tape days.
Can, you know, where you had to get somehow get the stuff on the cassette onto the computer. That was, and sometimes it was had to be in two pieces. So, thank you, Tony. You're such a sweet man, and really just a tireless worker. And you know, you're probably not going to get much reward for all that here, <laughs> other than a thank you, <laughs> maybe a gift card here and there. But really, in heaven, yeah. So, this, the Lord. Is aware of stuff, isn't he? You know, it's like he said here, I know where you live, man. You know, we that's a beautiful thing, really, unless you're bad, doing bad. I know where you live. I'm coming to see you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesus revealed himself to the church at Paragamos as the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. It is the shortest and most concise description of Christ in all the letters to the seven churches. Isn't that something? Located in a very hostile city, Christ commended them for staying faithful during severe persecution, yet they allowed compromise in their midst to relieve the pressure, listen to me, y'all, to relieve the pressure they were under uh, to make the the gospel of the kingdom of God kinder, gentler, and more accommodating to the culture and the world around them. That's what this is about. And Jesus warned he would fight them if they did not repent of their compromise. You know, it's something we really need to pay attention to, this. That's why I said it really spoke to me. You know, there's many interpretations uh, of the church, as as y'all well know, of of Revelation. One of them is each church represents a particular church age, which that might be true. I don't know about that, but I kind of don't think that, but... I'm good with it, but, but you know, and then there's the, rep, the they just apply to churches, and then there's, it can apply to us individually. So I definitely think it applies to us individually, and I think it applies to us as a church, all of this, all of these things. And so I think we've got to really pay attention to what the Lord's trying to reveal in these, in these and pay attention. This is the standard that we have to, to look at. Uh, not the what the world is saying, and not what the popular American Christianity is saying, because popular American Christianity, in my opinion, is really going off is going off the mark. I mean, honestly, and I'm I'm sad about it because I'm going off the mark with them because I'm having to identify with a church that I feel like is in, is starting to get in more and more compromise uh, in our nation. So we really have to pay attention. To that, isn't this so exciting? <laughs> Let me give you a couple little things on the background of Paragamos. It was the capital of the Roman government in Asia. The Supreme Court, you know, do y'all know our government is based on the government, the, the way that our government is, is set up and the way it functions. It was copied after the Roman. I don't know if you knew that. It's just interesting. So they had a Supreme Court, and it was located in Paragamos. There was a university there, uh, and they had a very significant library with 200,000 books, not really books, but they didn't have books, but documents, parchments, 200,000 for an ancient library was significant. Uh, it was known as a city of temples of many gods. There was, there was a temple for about anything you needed there. In any needs you had in life, they had some Greek god there with a temple that you could go there and get what you needed. I mean, literally, if you, it was just, there was dozens of these temples there. So that's kind of the, the situation uh, <clears throat> that they were living in. 
And, and, and Jesus came and revealed himself as the, uh, and he says, I'm the one who has the sharp two-edged sword. And just remember that when, and I've said this over and over because this has been one of the great revelations of my life, is the way the Lord appears to you, the way the Lord reveals himself to you is the way he wants you to know him. You know, we can choose to try to know God in different ways, but the way we really need to know the Lord and have a relationship with the Lord is how he's, he's revealed himself to you. And it'll make a big difference in your life when you begin to, to see and understand how he's speaking to you and what he's showing about himself and, and go after that versus the other things you may be trying to go after, other aspects of God that you may want to know about or you want to know him. Does that make sense? It's like, what is God doing? I want to see what he's doing so I can join him in what he's doing. I want to join him in how he's revealing himself. And so he comes to this church and he reveals himself as the one who has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And he says, this is the way, church, this church, I want you to know me. And this is a big deal for you to know me this way. Well, of course, we know uh, from history that... Uh, the sword was a symbol of might in the Roman Empire. In fact, the governor of the of Paragamus uh, would would when he would march around the city on his official duties, he had a guy who would walk in front of him with this big, huge sword. Okay, and so there was a lot of stuff that they were connecting with. So when they heard Jesus revealing himself like that, they would probably reflect on what they were hearing. And by the way, that governor had the authority to use that sword as he willed. In other words, he could kill anybody he wanted to at any moment. That's the kind of city these people lived in, is that he, you could be struck down by the government and there was nothing anybody could do because he was the supreme authority in that city. But here's the Lord coming and you know, he's saying, I've got a sword and my sword is much greater than that sword. <clears throat> and of course, we know that the, this sword is the word of the Lord. Amen. I wanted to read this Hebrews 4.12. I know this is a very common verse, but it's so beautiful. It says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Isn't that beautiful? Piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, both joints and marrows, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's such a beauty in the word of God. I thought that was really interesting that Robert was bringing up. The, um, I just wrote down a few thoughts about the what the Word of God has been in my life and how God's revealed it to me is there's no power on earth like the Word of God. Uh, when God. When the Lord spoke, creation came forth. When He speaks to us, creation comes forth in us. Isn't that powerful? When God speaks to you, His new creation comes forth in you. His Word not only exposes, but it separates, divides, and judges separates, divides, and judges. His words go deeper into our hearts than we can go ourselves. Wow. Do you know that? His word can go deeper than you can ever go. That's why I don't recommend people dig around inside their heart. It doesn't do any good. It creates problems. His word does surgeries on the depths of our thoughts and intentions. It hurts. It hurts, but it's a good hurt. It's, you know the old song, Hurt So Good? Come on, baby, baby. Sometimes love don't feel like it should. 
I think the person who wrote that may have some revelation about the Word of God and about God. Sometimes love don't feel like it should, but it hurts so good. Don't you think sometimes we've made God's love into something? Maybe it's really not that. Maybe there's, a, there's something that hurts about God's love that can cause us to feel hurt, but it's a good hurt. Am I talking to anybody in this room? You know, when that hurt comes, we need to embrace that hurt. When the word of the Lord comes to us and it hurts us, it causes, causes distress within us, we need to embrace that hurt because there's something happening. It's, a, it's bringing forth a healing. Although painful at times, his word is the source of the greatest love, peace, joy, and freedom that we can know in this life. Am I talking to anybody? This, this is really beautiful. His word brings us to the greatest humility through seeing the spots and wrinkles that we all have, but we can't see apart from this two-edged sword of the Spirit. That's really one of the greatest things that can happen in your life is when, when the Lord reveals something to you about yourself that's not beautiful and that's not wonderful. And it'll, and it'll cause you to be humble because you'll, at that moment because there's also a healing coming at that moment, <clears throat> if you'll agree. His word heals, delivers, and restores us. The point is that we must always seek to fortify ourselves in the knowledge of the scriptures and heed its warnings. Are y'all hearing this? We need to heed the warnings of the scriptures. And we need to always fortify ourselves, always build ourselves up with the written word of God. If Jesus, who was the word of God, had to take his stand on it is written... How much more must we? You hear me? If Jesus himself had to take his stand when the devil came to him on it is written, how much more must, must we? Must we take a stand on the word of God? And this, is, this gets pretty serious, I think. <clears throat> I'm not trying to be serious, though, but you know. We must anchor every doctrine, all our theology, and all our believing to the word of God. It must be anchored to the word. It must not be anchored to what we think the word says, but it must be anchored to the word itself. It must be. It must not be anchored to our experience. It must not be anchored to our desires. It must not be anchored to our dreams. It must not be anchored to our church life. It must be anchored to the word of God. It can't be anchored to even our experiences in the Holy Spirit. It must be anchored to the word. And, and that's the way we're going to succeed and prosper long term. I want to remind you that something happened in, in the year 2020 that was really awesome. We know some bad things happened in 2020, right? Anybody? Yeah. Remember that thing they called the pandemic? I think it's kind of still around. But the thing that happened in 2020 was we entered a new decade. We actually entered a new Hebrew decade also. Do y'all remember that? Uh, the Hebrew decade, uh, year 5780 is, was, was our year of 2020. And the, the uh, Hebrew symbol for 80 is the mouth. Y'all remember that? The mouth. And so the, this, this is a decade of the mouth. This is a decade of speech Declaration and communication. It's a decade of learning how to speak the word of the Lord. Uh, the prior decade, in the 70s, the, the symbol was the eye. 
Okay, and and if you go and and I've did this, I did this. I went back and looked at different decades and and how it lined up with the Hebrew symbol of what, and, and you can see a pattern of what God was doing. Like in the prior decade, the prior ten years before twenty twenty, a lot of what God was doing had to, had to do with revelation. Y'all remember all that? How to see in the spirit? A lot more people became activated. In the realm of revelation, the realm of being able to see, remember to be able to connect into the spirit realm, because that's what the spirit was really emphasizing. Of course, he continues to emphasize that, but now the spirit of the Lord is emphasizing this thing called speech. Okay, and so he's we have a ten year window to learn how to get our mouth in line with the mouth of the Lord, and that's really something God's really doing right now. And I'm, as unfortunately, we've heard a lot of things spoken by the church in the past couple of years that haven't been good things. It's almost like God has been detoxing us of saying bad things. And we are realizing everything we've, a lot of that we've said has not been good. It's not been healthy. It's not brought healing. It's not brought reconciliation. It's brought more polarization. It's brought more division. And say so what God, and, and, and it's not okay, I'm, that's not okay. But it is okay for us to realize God is trying to teach us about our math. It is okay for us to learn how to speak properly. That's what the book of James is all about. You know, he, it ta- not the whole book, there's a place in there where it talks about the tongue is like a rudder on a ship. That guides it. The tongue can set a, a, a little spark, a great fire. It says, no man can tame the tongue. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I read that, I think this is James 3, I read that years ago and it gave me a lot of comfort. <laughs> you know, because I could not keep my mouth in line. But the Holy Spirit will. The Holy Spirit can tame your tongue if you allow him to. He can tame your tongue. He can teach your tongue how to, how to talk properly. I remember one time I had this dream. I think I've shared this with you. Can I share it with you again about my tongue? It was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was in my childhood home, and <clears throat> these uh, Hispanic people were coming to me. And uh, so they came into the house. We were sitting in the house, and I took my shoes off, and my feet stuck. Anybody know about, what, about that? Your feet stinking. <laughs> I, I appreciate you being honest. And so I took my socks off and took them and laid them on the porch. That was the dream. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, so I have a friend at the time who was alive who could interpret any dream ever, Bob Jones. I mean, he could, you could tell him any dream. He'd give you scriptures on it just off the top of his head. It was like insane. And he said, well, that's your tongue, son. And God is telling you, when you get your tongue cleaned up, he wants to use you with the Hispanic people. That's what he told me. Well, you know, a sock looks like a tongue, right? Now you get it. Anyways, I didn't get it at the time, but I believe it's really the truth. Uh, Arthur Burt said years ago, he's another spiritual father, you must yield, Y-I-E-L-D, to the word before you can truly wield, W-I-E-L-D, the word. Yield. And so there's a yielding that has to take place in us um, about the word of God. 
Um, I was asking the Lord, you know, everybody wants a word for 2022, right? Do y'all still do that? I quit doing it for a few years because everything that I got wasn't, wasn't working out so good, so I gave up on it. But then I started back one year. I said, Lord, just in case. <laughs> I, I got in bed. Just in case you got a word for me, I, I'll take it. But I did get in the bed on New Year's Eve and said, Lord, I, I want you to speak to me. I do need a word, Lord, from you for, for 2022. And immediately he gave me a scripture. This is what the scripture says. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. That's what he gave me. I think that's a great scripture for 2022, that we would learn for our words and our thoughts to be pleasing to the Lord, and that we would begin to really cultivate this year and become more intentional about our speaking and our thinking. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to read, go back and read uh, Psalm 19. It's a beautiful psalm, uh, by the way. It, it tells us the two primary ways that God speaks to all humanity. In Psalm 19, the first, it talks about the heavens declares the glory of God. And it talks about days, the day speaking, the night having not. And it just, it's just a beautiful song. And then about halfway into it, all of a sudden it shifts from, from nature, from the sky, and from the beauty of all that. Go read it. It's, it's, it's a marvelous psalm. It's only 14 verses. It shifts at verse 7 and begins to talk about the word of God. And that's the last verse that I just read to you in that psalm. You know, one of the interesting things it says in there that I caught was the fear of the Lord and the word of the Lord are the same thing. It, it makes them equal in that psalm. And that, in other words, what it's saying, that if we want the fear of the Lord to work in our life, the word of the Lord, is how, which is what brings the fear of the Lord. And we desperately need the fear of the Lord. Amen. So I really want to encourage you all today. I think what Robert was saying about becoming people of his word this year is we really need to have a focus. I want to encourage you every day to have time in the word of God, every day of your life. If it's only three verses, if it's one, it doesn't matter how much in my mind. You know, I know some people have never read through the Bible. If you've never read through the Bible, I would highly encourage you to do that. It's not hard to do. Uh, You know, you just start at Genesis and kind of read like you do any other book all the way to the end. You know, but it's, it'd be healthy to read through the Bible. You know, there's pro, programs. I don't do any of that because I don't really like the, I don't live like that. I live more of a free-flowing life. And so, you know, if I want to read a bunch of verses, a bunch of chapters, I will. If I want to read one chapter, I will. But I, I want to encourage you to make the word of the Lord a priority in your life. And if you will, you know, you can make time for it. Hey, put your iPhone down or your iPad or your MacBook just put that stuff away for a while and, and give yourself to the Word. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's really good. Okay, so that, that was one thing I thought was really important out of this. And um, the other thing has to do with um, <clears throat> compromise. Here, here's the thing, y'all, I want to say to you. If you compromise the Word of God, you're compromising your life, you're going to lose your voice that God has for you. See, God has a voice for every one of you in this room. There's a part of his voice he wants to give to you. When you speak, there's authority on it, there's anointing on it, and it's going to make a difference. But if you compromise, when you begin to compromise, you will lose that voice. 
you will lose that voice. And we have seen it. You can go back and study the church historically and see people who had one time had a powerful voice in the church and in the world or in their business, and through compromise, they lost that voice. And so we need to be people who don't compromise the word because we don't want to lose the voice that God has for us. We don't want to lose the anointing. We don't want to lose the mantle, the authority that God has and the way God wants to use us and the way God wants to establish us. And you can apply that in your home. You can apply that in your marriage. You can apply that with your kids. You can apply that with your finance. You can apply it in any ways. It's going to affect every area of your life. When we begin to compromise, it's going to affect us. And if we go long enough, it's going to affect us big time. Amen? I wish y'all was happy about this. I really do. This is really good. Um, so I'm not going to read it to you, but Second uh, Peter 3.16, Peter warns about people who twist the Scriptures. He, he warns that people will twist the Scriptures to make them mean what they want them to mean, to make them suit what they feel, their desires, their hunger, their passions. Their dreams. And he warns about that. And we all need to be warned about taking scriptures and trying to, trying to make it fit what we want. Even if it's a good thing we want, it, it's, it ain't going to be good if we're twisting it. You can, you can read those, Second uh, Peter 3.16. <clears throat> and uh, he said they twist them to their own destruction. To their own destruction. Yes, that's really exciting, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so um, in this particular, at, at Paragamas, are y'all all right? Yeah. Y'all, yeah, yeah. Um, there was two particular things that, that Jesus pointed out. Number one, he, he pointed out the, uh, uh, it was the doctrines of demons, okay? It was the Nicolaitans and, uh, and Balaam, okay? That's what got this church in compromise, okay? Um, they were bringing, they were twisting the scripture, Okay, again, what I said earlier, what I read earlier, to make the gospel, to make things a little easier. Okay, because they were under extreme pressure there. Okay, this guy Antipas that Jesus called his faithful martyr, he, you know what his name means? He has a very prophetic name. His name means against everything. In other words, Antipas was this. He was a guy who would not go with the flow of culture. He did not flow with how culture was going. He was not going with the popular winds of doctrine in the church. And Tippus stuck true to the word of the Lord. And it cost him his life. And so for some people, Antipas would be a person to follow, to, to be, they, they, he would be admired, he would be loved, he'd be careful. But for other believers would say, wait a minute, Antipas, perhaps your hard line, perhaps your, your dogma Perhaps you're, you're, you're sticking to these particular scriptures got you, got you killed. And so it was easy to hear these other doctrines that were coming in to soften up things to be more acceptable with the world, to get the pressure off them. Am I talking to anybody? And so we can apply all this to ourselves. Now, I, I wanted to, I'll read it again just to remind you about the Nicolaitans, <clears throat> and there's no explanation given in scriptures as who the Nicolaitans were. 
uh, it, uh, it, one, a lot of people say it refers to the father of Nicholas, a Jerusalem deacon who fell into error. You can see he was one of the early deacons in Acts 6, 5. This was the common view among the early church fathers. For example, Irenaeus in the second century taught that the Nicolaitans were without restraint, listen to that, in their indulgence of the flesh. Okay? Especially with immorality. And they taught people to continue in sin without repenting. In other words, it's okay to indulge your fleshly desires. That's what they taught the people. And Jesus said, I hate that. And Jesus said, you keep doing that, and I'm going to come fight you with the word of the Lord. That's what he said. Another thing on Nicolaitans, the Nicolaitans is a transliteration of two Greek words, Nico, which means to rule, and Laos, the, the people. Therefore, one who rules over the laity, one who rules over the people. Um, and, you know, we, that's kind of a bad thing, right? So the other th- thing was Balaam, and many of y'all know who Balaam was, right? Balaam was an Old Testament prophet, but he was not a prophet of God. Nowhere in the scripture does it say Balaam was a prophet of God, but he was a prophet. Are you hearing that? And he, in the scripture, calls him a prophet, but not a prophet of God. And basically, Balak, Balak was a king. I forget which country he was from. Moab? Yeah, he was the Moab king, Balak was. And he hired Balaam to go and curse Israel because they were still traveling through the, and tra- going to travel through his land. So he wanted to curse him, but he couldn't. He was the guy who, who was on the donkey, and the donkey spoke to him. Okay? He couldn't curse him. He could only bless him, but this is what he did do. This is what he did. He went to Balaam and said, I can't curse him. I'm sorry, but here's how, if you want to get him, I can tell you how to get him. Get, get your best-looking girls, march them down there in their most sexy-looking outfits, march them down there to the camp, and those young guys, they are going to go after those girls. And they did. They did. They, in other words, if you, can't, <clears throat> if you can't stop them, corrupt them. You, and that's what they did. They corrupted them. And, and it, there were 20,000 of the Israelis lost their life over this thing. And so Balaam, uh, the sin of Balaam was that he prophesied for money. You know, and he's actually mentioned a couple other times, and Jude and Peter both mentioned the error and the sin of Balaam, is that he used this gift for money. That might say something, right? I ain't saying much on that, but, you know, if you can't curse them, you know, corrupt them. And so, here's kind of a hard thing, y'all. You know, if you look at, both Nicolaitans and Balaam, there was like basically three things that were involved in that corruption. It was money, sex, and power. Back in, when we were young Christians, they used to say, you know, be, beware of the gold, right? The gold and the girls and the glory. The three Gs, that's what we were told. You got to be careful about the girls. And not, if you're a woman... Doesn't mean you're bad. It's just guys are bad. That's it's not speaking well of the men, y'all. The girls and go. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so in our culture, y'all, 
we have a issue, we have a lot there's a lot of issues around sexuality more than ever they've always been around a lot of issues right it's always it's just different but now we have these other really complex issues around same sex marriage uh, same sex attractions transgender thing all all of that all of that that our culture is promoting okay and the bible doesn't promote that's, that's where the rub will come. You see what I'm saying? Our culture is promoting, our government has even made these kind of things civil right issues. They really have. And you can sort of see where all this is headed. And you can see how the American church could easily become a very compromised church. A very compromised church. Because we will face these, we will have to face this eventually and face it hard. And no matter how loving and no matter how caring you are to the individuals, okay, it will not matter. You will be seen as a hate group. You will be seen as someone who's intolerant. Now, that's really the truth, y'all. And I think it's something we as a people have to face. Are we going to be faithful to the word of the Lord. That's why I said the word of God's important. And so we need to really wake up and realize the world we live in is much like this world at Paragonus. It was just different issues that they were facing. And sooner or later, it will come knocking on our doors. It will come knocking on the church door and it will come knocking on your, your personal door sooner or later. And now, it, maybe it won't be in my lifetime, but it probably is going to be in my baby's lifetime for sure. And so we have to learn how to be people of the Word, you know. Now, there's a lot of issues around all that, you know. There's one thing about the whole, you know, the sin and all that, but there's another thing about the individuals who are called in sin and individuals who are, who are struggling with these things. See, those are the ones who need compassion. Those are, that's where I think the church has failed in the past. I'm just going to say this. I feel like we have, we have ridden homosexuals into the ground. The church has not been nice to homosexuals. We need to treat them like adulterers. We need to, I've had, listen, y'all, I have, I have had many, many men come and confess adultery to me or fornication. Okay, I'm talking about Christian men that I have seen the Lord restore and heal. And I believe God can restore anybody out of any sexual brokenness, any of it. I really do. Yeah, so that's what I'm trying to say is, and I've dealt with people who have, you know, same-sex attraction. And I've dealt with people who've been in that world. And it is hard. It's very difficult. And some of them are very hostile and angry, you know, at the church. And so we have to learn how to help those people and love those people out of their sin, but not compromise. I believe we can, by the power of the Spirit, see God deliver and save and heal people, you know, but not compromise ourselves. You know, I've told people this, you know, you know, the person who suffered with drinking problems, who had a real passion to go back into the bars, okay, to minister to their old friends, like, don't do it. Don't do it. You, had a, you, you, you struggle with alcohol. Don't go there, you know. 
It's like telling a guy who suffered, you know, who suffered with, uh, you know, lust, don't go to a strip joint to witness. You know what I mean? Duh. You know what I'm saying? Are y'all with me? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm trying to help us see, you know, the heart of Jesus towards human beings. But at the same time, the heart of Jesus that there's just things that he is not going for. And we can't go for something he's not going for. Now, that's the bottom line. And we had to stick to the truth of the scripture. We have to. We really have to. We can't compromise it. At least we find him coming after us with the sword of his mouth, and I don't want that. Okay. <laughs> now, let me go to the last thing, which has to do with identity. And it talks about three things there. Hidden manna, white stone, and a new name. And all that has to do with identity, okay? <clears throat> and so I think we all, in the past few years, one of the beautiful things, one of the beautiful things I think about what's happened in the church was this amazing revelation of God as the Father. I mean, that, was, I've told everybody this all the time, that's the second greatest revelation in my life. Christ, the, the Savior, Christ the Lord, was my greatest revelation. Our, it's all of our greatest revelation is is his salvation. He's bringing us in to the kingdom we're in. But I went for so long where I didn't know God as, the fa- as my father. I knew him, that he was a father, but I didn't have that personal. But once I began to walk in that, that began to change me because I began to see who I was. You see, that has to do with identity. That's how we come into identity is by this revelation of God as a father because he can speak identity to it because that's what fathers do. Fathers give us identity. And so it was such a beautiful thing to really get into that. Uh, But I've also began to see how our identity, just in practical, is is really tied back. Your identity in Christ can be very corrupted. Okay? It can be corrupted. It can be corrupted by compromise. That's what Jesus was trying to tell them. And so he offered these people who didn't give in to compromise, he offered them a greater identity. Okay? See, see there's more identity for us. Are you, are you with me? That's what he was saying here. And he said so there was one, what he called the hidden manna. And um, here's what Paul said, speaking of the Father in Christ in Colossians 2, 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Hidden manna speaks of a greater access. Listen, hidden manna, we know who man, the hidden manna is, right? We know who, what manna is. We know that Jesus is the bread of life. He's the manna. But there's this hiddenness. There's something more that we haven't seen yet about Jesus Christ and about God the Father. There's a hiddenness. There's a hiddenness about God that we don't know yet. There's things about God that we haven't seen and we haven't heard. The treasure in the field was buried. It was buried there for us to find, but it was still buried. It's not on the surface. The pearl of great price, it had to be looked for. God didn't put all that on the surface just so it could be trampled. He hid it for those who would really desire. And here it says is for those who are willing to be faithful to his word. He's willing to release these hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Isn't that beautiful? God wants to release hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge to us. 
the hidden manna. So there's just more that God has for us. Am I talking to anybody? Does that not excite you? Does that not get... See, what I'm trying to do is bait you. Bait you to not compromise. Bait, that's what I'm saying. Hey, there is something good that can happen. if It's not just gritting your teeth and not giving in to sin or not compromising the word or softening things up where you won't be rejected. There's something that God wants to give us. It's called hidden manna. It's available to, to the people of God. That's, that was his promise to them. There's also this thing called the white stone. <clears throat> and there's a lot about the white stones in those days, one of them in particular was uh, when you went to, if you went to trial, if you were accused of a crime uh, <clears throat> and you were found guilty, you would be given a black stone. That's what they, they gave you. But if you were declared innocent, you would be given a white stone. You're innocent. Uh, if they were an invitation to a, in the, in the Roman society, a high-level cultural they would invite people to these gatherings, these special parties, and they would give them a white stone to go. And so when you came to the door of the party, you would present the white stone and you were brought in to the party. And see, the Lord see, the Lord was using all this to speak to them. You know what I'm saying? He was using what was really happening in their life to speak to them. And so the Lord promised those a white stone. He was saying... Uh, that he had found them innocent and given them access to more. He'd given them access to more. And he had also given them a new name. Isn't that powerful? He'd given them a new name, even though they did not know it yet. Isn't that wonderful? I would be really hard for the Lord to give you a new name. Hey, I've, got, I've given you a new name, but I'm not telling you what it is yet. You ever had anybody tell you something like, I'm really mad at you, but I'm not going to tell you why. You know, why? Well, why can't you tell me? You know, I mean, you know, there's different things. Oh, I've got this secret, but I can't tell you. I know something really good, but I can't tell you. Don't be telling me anything if you can't tell me. You know, if you got know something really good, but you can't tell me, don't even tell me you know something really good. Just tell me. I, I, all I know is bad stuff. Like, yeah, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> to be given a new name is one of the greatest honors from the Lord. It really is. Um, such as he gave Jacob. He called Jacob. He gave Jacob. He called him Israel. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, called uh, Abram. He gave him Abraham. And so when the Lord gives you a new name, he's given you a new identity. He's given you a new purpose. He's given you a new life. He's given you an invitation into something. Isn't, isn't that beautiful? The names given by God reflects how he sees us, who we really are. That's the only way we're going to ever know who we really are is hear him begin to speak to us and tell us these things. And not being in compromise keeps that information going. So here's what I wrote down here. If we will allow the word of God to be our foundation, like Jesus said in Matthew 7, he who builds, your, builds a house on sand versus a man who builds his house on the rock. Because the storms come against both houses. And great is the fall of the house who built their house on the sand. Great is the fall of the believer who didn't build their life on the word of God. That's what Jesus was saying. He was saying that right from the beginning. He was inviting people. to This is how you build your life. And this is what will keep you when the storms come. Because the storms are going to affect everybody. 
they're going to, the winds are going to blow on everybody. The rain's going to come down on everybody. And it depends on after when the storm's over, if you have built your life, if the, blue, if the Word of God has become the blueprint for your life, that you use that, even when it hurts you to use it, then you will, you'll be left standing when the storm ends. But if you don't, you won't be left standing. That's what he was saying. And he said, great was the collapse of that house. In other words, it just didn't get some shingles blown off, you know, or a little water damage on the inside. It was blown down. It was done. It was not a house no more. It was a pile of rubble. And we don't want to become piles of rubble, do we? Are y'all okay? I know this. Does this sound rough to y'all? I mean, I don't feel rough. I'm just trying to say this is, this is in the Bible. We've got to talk about stuff like this. We've got to bring these kind of things out and look at them. And let it, as someone says, when you read the Bible, the Bible's really reading you. We need to let these things read us. We need to say, where am I compromising at in my life? Where have I allowed myself to make a little slight adjustments to make it a little easier on me? You know, to be accepted, to be into the in crowd, to give in to my desires. Where have I done that? I'm compromising. And I need to really allow the Lord to correct that. If we will anchor our doctrine, our theology, and our beliefs to his word and not popular winds of doctrine, if we will be as true as we can be to the word of God, we can walk in our true identity. We really can, you know. So there you go, y'all. That's what paradigmas is, you know. And I think it's something that we need to really listen to, not just because I'm saying it, obviously. It's because it's written. And I think it's really important. I really want to encourage you to... uh, you know, go back and read that Psalm 19. You know, it's beautiful. And really, really become more intentional about the words of your mouth. And the way you become intentional is about the words of your mouth. You become intentional about what you meditate on, what you think on. You know, that's the key. If you can begin to see when you're thinking about stuff that's really not good to think about, is it's deal with it inside you. You won't have to worry about saying stuff as much. You, you see what I'm saying? Allow your thoughts to come into better alignment. And we can be thinking about things we shouldn't think about all the time if we let ourselves. And so I think let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, that was what the Lord told me personally. And I, but I think he's speaking it to all of us. I believe God's going to give people a voice. I believe God's going to give authority to people. Here's what I believe. I believe we're going to see people saved, healed, and delivered. And we're going to use our voices and we're going to declare these things, okay? But God's trying to train us right now. And we're going to quit speaking negative things and quit being polarizing with our words and quit being divisive with our words and and learn how to speak properly. And if the Lord rebukes you and admonishes you for not doing it, the way you treat your spouse or your children and, and he calls you out on it, you submit yourself to the word of the Lord. You submit and say, I'm wrong. And I'm sorry, Lord. Please help me. That's what you do. You know, and you'll find it hurts to do that, and it can be embarrassing to do that, but you, it'll bring you life. It'll bring you life. Amen? So won't you just stand let me pray for you right quick. Well, Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm having a hard time reading y'all. Really a hard time. 
Lord, we just, help, we just need your help. We are asking you to help us today, Lord. Um, here we are. We're, Lord, really, we're just children, all of us, every one of us. Even the most uh, amazing saint in this room, Lord, amongst us, Lord, we're, we're still just children. And we don't know what we don't know. And we're asking you to help us, Lord, with our mouth. Uh, we, we, our tongues need to be tamed. We need to, our hearts, the things that we think about. Lord, we, we need you to help us, to speak to us, to convict us, to help us purge things out of our hearts. Hey, I just keep thinking about that old uh, saying, uh, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head. You know, birds like our thoughts, but you can stop them from nesting in your head. They don't have to nest in your head. Those thoughts that come into your mind that are not good, they don't have to nest there. You can say, I'm not, I don't accept that thought. I, just remind you, every thought you have doesn't mean it's you having it. It could very well be the world, the flesh, the devil that's brought that thought to you. But if you open the door and say, yeah, come on in, have a seat. Then it becomes yours. And I will tell you this about thoughts. This is a fact. Every thought becomes a family of thoughts. One thought into your life will multiply like rabbits once it gets into your. And so grab that thought. That's why Paul said, get it, grab it, don't let it, or it will breed like rabbits and you'll be full of bad thoughts and it'll just lead you to a bad place. Yes, that's true. Thank you, Lord. Put your hand on your head, if you will. Representing our mind. Lord, we ask you to put the blood of Jesus over our minds today. The Bible calls the, the helmet of salvation a helmet of hope. Woo, boy, hope doesn't say a bunch of bad stuff. Lord, just help us to get that helmet of hope back on our little minds. To protect our minds, Lord. Protect our words, Lord. Lord, help us help us to be able to love sinners but not love their sin and not let their sin become our sin. Help us to love the sinners but not allow ourselves to get drug into it and somehow be able to show them the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of who you are in, in a way that really will help people get free from things that are holding them back. Lord, we just ask you to do that this year. And we ask you, Lord, uh, that there would be a revival, there would be a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit come into this church uh, and touch us in, in big ways. And it would go out into our community and touch our community and touch all these suffering people, Lord. I know you want to touch suffering people. So we ask you for that, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I want y'all be dis dismissed. Anybody want prayer? We have people who can pray for you. I want some people who, who uh, can pray, come up, and we will and pray for you. And God bless you. We pray for the sick. The sick, the sick. We want, if you're sick today, come up here. Please come up here. 
and get some prayer because there is an anointing for healing.